0: sin. And then he says in Ephesians 4:17, no longer you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, but in the truth of Jesus. So because God in Christ has forgiven you, you have a new life in him. And you should no longer walk as the unbelievers do in the futility of their minds, but to walk in the truth of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, put off the old self that is corrupt and deceitful, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So the Apostle Paul is saying, God in Christ has forgiven you. He has caused you to be born again. He has chosen, he has chosen you to be in relationship with Him. And now We can walk in the newness of life, to walk in the spirit. But also, he says in in verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. I think that's so important as we are called to imitate God. We imitate him as father. He is our perfect father in heaven. And we are his beloved children. This perfect God that created everything loves you. He loves me, and he's called us into his family. So we are called to imitate God as beloved children. We are to be perfect as he is perfect. We are to be merciful as he is merciful. Just like we sang, we are to be holy as God is holy. And so he's continuing on with the thoughts that he shared in chapter 4 when it talks about the new life. You have this new life. You have the new self. So put away falsehood. Speak the truth. Be angry and do not sin. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work hard so he can share with those in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit because... They had the Holy Spirit. They were given the Holy Spirit at salvation. And if you're saved today, you have the Holy Spirit. And you can grieve him. You can grieve him with your actions when you sin against him. That's why God is calling you to be imitators of God, because God in Christ has forgiven you. He's brought you into a new life, into a new family. And then verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how did Christ love us? How did he love us? He gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for us. Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He gave himself, he gave his life for us, and it was the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, despising the shame knowing that he would bring many sons to glory so he loved us by giving himself he loved us as a he gave himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god just like the animal sacrifices in the old testament that that were to help to restore the relationship that the people had with god because of their sins and the high priest would go in once a year to the holy of holies, and, and offer a sacrifice for his sins, but also for the sins of the people. They have to continually do that. But Christ's sacrifice was once for all. Hebrews 7, 27 says, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and also the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So Jesus loved us so much that he gave us his life, he gave up his life on the cross once for all. So Christ's sacrifice pleased God forever as he became a curse and sin for you so that in him you might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians five twenty-one. So this is a love, a love that gives and gives and gives. This is a love that pleases God in obedience. And this is a love that, that costs. This is a costly love. As we look at how Christ loved us, the Apostle Paul is saying, walk in love as Christ loved us. So we are also to walk in this kind of love that gives and gives and gives and a love that pleases God and a love that costs us. So what kind of love are you walking in right now? Is it Christ's love or the world's definition of love. Cuz the world will say that to love somebody, to love ourselves, that's what it's all about is just to love myself, to do everything for myself and to be selfish, to take, to take, to take to please ourselves and a cheap kind of love that costs us our lives, that costs us our relationships. But the world will say, do it for yourself. Walk in that kind of love. Whatever, whoever you want to love is fine. It doesn't matter. But that's not the love of Christ that we should be walking in. But what does Christian love not look like? Paul takes us to verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So sexual morality comes from the Greek word porneia, which is where we get the word pornography. But this is meaning any sexual activity outside the marriage covenant between one man and one woman for life. So This includes pornography of any kind, romance novels, thoughts and actions, that lead you towards an affair, online affairs, cheating of any kind, but also impurity. This is a deeper, debased lust of the flesh, like homosexuality, bestiality, incest, multiple partners. But then there's also covetousness, which is still in a sexual frame of mind, a sexual greed, as you would say, wanting someone sexually that is not your own. So Paul is saying, these things must not even be named among you because it's not proper for saints. Saints are the holy ones in Christ Jesus. They are the ones who are supposed to be part of the family of God, imitating God in holiness. But these things must not even be named among you. They they must not even be reported among the church. I think of the Apostle Paul when when he brought up the man that was sleeping with his stepmom. And he's like, you should be ashamed, but yet you're allowing it to happen. So this is a serious matter within the church. Sexual morality, impurity, sexual covetousness of any kind should not even be named. So this is what Christian love should not look like. Because we are saints... Because we've been called into God's presence, we've been called into salvation, therefore, don't even go near these things. Flee from sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So these sins destroy our bodies, destroy everything. Everything destroys the church and it brings dishonor against the Lord. Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh are evident. They are clear. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, and a lot more, but those are, these are the works of the flesh and they're clear. When you're walking in these things, you are walking in the flesh. You are not walking in the spirit. And if you continue in these things, it shows that you are not saints because this is improper among saints. He goes on to say, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So he goes on to say that these are, these are things that are out of place when it comes to filthy talk of any kind foolish talk improper talk just talk that is just when you hear it especially as Christians you know it's out of place and the world will want you to join in with their foolish talk with their filthiness with the crude joking now this is he was clear crude joking there there are jokes that are that are good right i mean there are jokes that that Lend to laughter. Laughter, we know that from Scripture, is allowed. We should laugh. You know, we should. Um, it's medicine for our souls because sometimes we're so anxious. We just need to, we just need to laugh. And uh, you know you have some friends that, that really make you laugh, right? And um, it's always in a positive light. It's not at the expense of somebody else. It's not joking about something sexually We know that that's out of place. And that's what Paul's saying here. These things are out of place. Just like you said, the sexual morality is improper among saints. So as saints, these are out of place for you and for me. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. I love that. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. Because when you're thankful and content with what you have, When you you look at chapter 1, you see all the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ Jesus. You have forgiveness of sins. You've been redeemed by his grace. How can you not be thankful? How can you not be thankful? But sometimes in these moments where we're tempted to sexual immorality, when we're tempted to foolish talk and crude joking, it's in a moment where we're not being thankful. Am I right? We're not thankful. We're not content with what we have. We're not content with Christ. Our flesh wants more. But we should be thankful and content with everything God has given us, not only in Christ, but in our families, in our jobs, in everything. Be thankful for always and everything in prayer and just remembering what God has done When you do this, you won't have room for these works of the flesh because you're walking in the Spirit. You're being filled with the Spirit, which we're going to talk about later. Being filled with the Spirit, no room for works of the flesh because every moment you sin, you are declaring to God that you think he's withholding something from you, right? You think he's withholding something because you're being deceived because you have everything in Christ. You have everything in him. So he goes on to say, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So Paul was motivating these Christians away from sexual immorality, from impurity, covetousness, crude joking, foolish talk, all these things that are works of the flesh, away from those things that defame his name in the church and in the world by reminding them of not only their present identity in Christ as beloved children and saints, but also the future judgment of God that we see here. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You may be sure of this. He wants it to be clear. You can be sure of this if you're even thinking about living this way, you can be sure you will be judged. You will face eternal punishment. So he's warning them, and he's warning us today. He's warning you. Because the culture was very sexualized. And it was part of their idolatry, using temple prostitution as offerings to their gods. Just like nowadays, but more subversive. We don't have statues necessarily that we're sacrificing to, but it's more under the radar. But our idol factories in our hearts, and in the world, runs rampant as they sacrifice to their gods of lust and passion. So he was writing to the church, so he was probably tempted in this way, but hadn't given in. Not like the Corinthian church, like I talked about, about the man sleeping with his stepmother. Um, but he was writing to them to warn them don't even think about this. Don't even think that you can take the name of saint and beloved child and also be a hellbound sinner. You can't be both. You can't, you can't continue to live this way and think that you're saved. But this is not saying, I know a lot of people might be thinking this, this is not saying that if any believer has ever struggled with sexual sin, that they're not saved and that they're not going to enter the kingdom. But it does say that those who are identified as a sexually immoral, impure, covetous idolatry those who don't care, those who don't repent and keep their sexual sin alive, because they love it more than God. They love it more than God. Those are the people that are not saved. First John says those who are born of God do not continue in sin. They're not saved. And if they continue in their hard-hearted state, God will give them over and they will be judged in the end and damned forever. This is something that Paul didn't want for the Ephesian church. He did not want them to continue or to even think about doing these things, joining in with the world, imitating the world instead of God. So this is not the only motivation to stay away from crude and lewd behavior, but it is a good one. And it helps us to be sober and awake, right? When you hear those things, it really wakes you up. It makes you sober and clear-minded. So in our imitating of God, we are to walk in love towards one another, towards those in the church, to sacrifice, to give and give and give. And it costs us, right? It costs us in a way. When when the church, when people need help, say your brother or sister in Christ is caught in a cycle of addiction, and they need help. Are you willing to do whatever it takes for them, to sacrifice for them when they call at three in the morning? Are you willing to love them in that way and walk in that kind of love? That's the love that Christ has for you and for me. That's the love that Christ has for the world. So we need to have a love that gives and gives and gives and is pleasing to God and is costly, not cheap. Not cheap. Because this, what the Apostle Paul is talking about is cheap, but yet it costs us our lives. It costs us our relationships. It costs us our families. Paul doesn't want that for you, and I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. So as we imitate God, we walk in love, but we also walk in the light. Starting in uh, verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now you are light in the Lord. So don't let anyone, no matter how good they sound, tell you differently that will be, there will be no judgment for unrepentant people, even those who say they are believers in Christ. Because false teachers were trying to come into the church and deceive with empty words, with useless babble to Us as mature believers, but to the weak and immature, I bet it sounded good to them. So he was saying, let no one deceive you with empty words, because it was happening in that day and age, and it's happening now. Like we've talked about a lot, the false teaching that is in a lot of these churches in our nation especially, they're deceiving people with empty words that mean absolutely nothing. They don't line up with God's word, they don't line up with truth and they and they give a cheap grace that you can be a christian and live in that sin as long as you're sincere and you ask for forgiveness afterwards it's a cheap grace that costs you nothing and it leads you to hell so let no one deceive you with empty words Because if you grow in the Word by the Spirit, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you will have the Lord as your light and your salvation. His Word will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. He will guide you into truth and will keep you in the truth. That's why you're part of a biblically faithful church, because all the members here are committed to the truth of the gospel and God's word. They will keep you on the right track if you're walking with Christ and desire to continue to be part of our church. But Paul gives the truth. Don't listen to these liars. Don't listen to these liars. They're lying to you. For because of sexual immorality, impurity and sexual covetousness and idolatry, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That sons of disobedience means those who continually reject Christ and are destined for wrath. They are unrepentant, willful, and habitual disobedient sinners and unsaved people. They are unbelievers. So the wrath of God comes upon them because they are walking in the works of the flesh. So don't think for a second that you can continue living in sexual sin and not have the wrath of God come upon you in the end. I'll say it again because I have it written down here. You can't call yourself a holy saint in Christ and at the same time be a hellbound sinner in Satan. You can't call yourself a holy saint in Christ and at the same time be a hellbound sinner in Satan. It's not possible. So don't listen to these false teachings. Listen to the word of God. That's what you need. That's what I need. So therefore, do not become partners with them, the sons of disobedience, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So don't participate in what unbelievers do. That's what it's talking about. Be holy and separate from the ways of the world. If you become partners with them, you engage in worldliness and sin and continue down the spiral of depravity. That's what happens when you become partners with those in the world. But 2 Corinthians 6 says you have nothing in common with unbelievers. Nothing of eternal value anyway. It says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? What does light have in common with darkness? Christ with idols? What portion does believers share with unbelievers? So this doesn't mean we shouldn't be friends with unbelievers, right? Right? Christ was a friend of sinners. But we should do it for the glory of God and to help call them to repentance and faith in Christ. We should long for them to be saved, yet we don't engage in the sinful talk or the activities that they participate in. We stay far away from those things, to flee from those things, to not imitate the ways of the world, but to imitate God as we build relationships with lost people. We stay far away from those ways so we can continue to walk in the light of holiness and be the light of Jesus to them. Because if you remember, at some time in the past, you were darkness. You were dead in your sins, in your trespasses. Do you remember that? you remember being lost? you remember being so totally void of light and truth and righteousness and holiness? Because Paul's reminding them, that's, that's you in the past. That's how you used to be if you're in Christ. You used to be darkness. Not just in darkness, but darkness. You used to, in Ephesians 2, you used to walk in those things. You followed the course of this world You imitated the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is what you used to be. So remember this. Remember your darkness, your emptiness without Christ, your lack of light, and joy, trying to find the light in everything else, trying to imitate everything else but Christ. But they are of no good. They couldn't save, they couldn't fill up the hole inside of you. But Christ by the Spirit shone his light into your darkness. You remember that point? You may not remember the exact day or the exact moment, but you remember when Christ shone his light into your darkness. And said, let there be light, just like at creation, but also in his regeneration of you. He saved you by his grace through faith, showed you his mercy, and awakened you. Remember that, but God is rich in mercy, made you alive together with Christ. He shone his resurrection light into you. So now you are light in the Lord. You are not the light. Remember that. You are not the light. But Jesus is the light of the world and you are light in him. Jesus is the son of righteousness. You are like a moon together with the church. The moon has no light on his own. Not his, it's. <laughs> Though you may think it does when you look at it, but it just reflects the sun. I didn't realize. I, I probably learned that in the past, but I didn't realize that. I was like, wow. It reflects the sun. So we are called to reflect the light of Christ to the world in the way we live our lives, separate from the ways of the world, not from people, but holy in our actions and our words as he is holy. So Paul is reminding them, do not become partners with them. Don't join in, don't imitate what they're doing because you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So therefore, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Light doesn't bear fruit, but it shines bright in the darkness. Just like godly character shines bright in an evil age, right? Goodness and righteousness and truth is not something that is easy to live out in this world, in our culture, but as you do, It shines bright. You're not hiding who Jesus is. You're not hiding your light, but you're letting people see his glory reflected in you and in us as we love one another. So we walk as children of light because as children of light, we should want to stay in the light, right? In the light of purity, as he is in the light of perfection. 1 John 1, 5-7, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So are you walking in God's light? Or are you walking in darkness? Are you trying to please him with everything that you think, say, and do? Are you living before the face of God in every single moment? Because when we walk in unconfessed, unrepentant sin, we walk in darkness and are not pleasing the Lord. We are walking in darkness. So take no part As he continues, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Again, Paul was saying, have nothing to do with these shameful works of the flesh that were wrapped up in secrecy. And maybe he thought that there were believers who were engaging secretly in these works of darkness with no shame. So he was calling them, he was calling them to come into the light, to be exposed, to allow their works of darkness to be exposed to the light of truth. And he was probably calling Christians to also, to expose these works of darkness that might have been in the church or in the the culture at the time, to rebuke and refute and challenge these sinful acts. That's what he means by Expose rebuke, refute, and challenge these sinful acts and idolatry with the light of truth because these dark things need to be exposed and brought into the light so that they can be seen as sinful and evil. Otherwise, they stay in the dark and they bear bad fruit and that can happen in the church A sexual sin runs rampant in the church it can bear horrible fruit within the church body. That's why Paul was so serious about that man in 1 Corinthians. A little, a little leaven works through the batch of dough and it can affect, infect everything. So there's a need for dark, evil things to be exposed and brought into the light so that they can be seen for what they are. And for truth to win. Paul goes on to say, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This could have been an old hymn written by Paul or someone else that was most likely based on Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So Paul was calling out to sleeping Christians to wake up and rise from the place of the dead, the place of darkness, through taking part in the sinful ways of the world or not calling others to repentance. This could could be a call to repentance for sleepy believers or dead unbelievers to salvation as well. So he's calling them awake and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Paul wanted the light of Christ to shine on the Ephesian church, to shine on the sleeping Christians, to awaken dead unbelievers to salvation. So, if you're here today, if you're a Christian today, it's time to wake up from your slumber if you've been passive. If you've been walking in inaction and in sinfulness in any way, wake up, O oh sleeper, and arise from the dead. Arise, repent, and trust in Christ anew. And he will shine his light on you again. He will bring you back into his light. If we just confess, disagree with God on what we've been doing, bring it into the light. Don't keep it in the the dark anymore. Allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you with that. Whatever it is, especially sexual immorality of any kind, we need the church. We need Christ to shine his light on us. So repent, trust in Christ anew. And he will bring all his mercy, all his grace, all his kindness leading you and his truth shining on you. So walk in the light. Walk as children of light and walk in purity. We should also walk in wisdom. Starting in verse 15. Look carefully then than how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So as we imitate God, we walk in the love of Christ and in the light of Christ, which leads us to walk in wisdom through this life. So Christ is shining his light. He's waking up the sleepers that arise from the dead. And then he says, look carefully then, As you awake, as you rise from the deadness of your sin, look at how you walk. Look at how you walk in this life, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So we need to be careful how we walk in this life. We need to walk in wisdom, we need to know what to do in every situation of our lives. Since the days are evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil will tempt you to use your time for yourself to keep you from glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus and preaching the gospel. So don't allow yourself to be tempted to use your time in a way that dishonors God, in a way that leads you to sin, or just in a way of wasting it, wasting your time, you need to walk in wisdom and allow God to lead us by his truth, by his word. As we imitate him, we will know what to do in every situation as we walk in the spirit. Colossians 4 or 5 says it this way, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how, to, uh, how you ought to answer each person. So we need to make the best use of the time. Another um, way of saying it is redeeming the time. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Use your time for the glory of God. So with everyone, be wise in what you say. Watch your words. Watch how you talk with others. Watch out for these things, this this filthiness and foolish talk and crude joking Even as we hear it, don't participate in it. Don't don't laugh at it. Don't allow yourself to join in with that kind of talk. But be wise in what you say and how you respond. Let the word of God by the Spirit guide you into truth every day and allow him to shape your words. To be kind and gracious towards everyone around you, even those who might not be the best to be around. There's people in our lives that are harder to love. But God gives us the wisdom. He gives us the the ability and the power to walk with him in those situations. So therefore, because the days are evil, don't be foolish. Go, Go on to verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Because fools waste time. Right? They waste it on themselves alone. I know I've struggled with that. I've struggled with wasting my time. I've struggled with using it for myself alone and not thinking about others in my life that need what God has gifted me with. But that's what happens when there's no devotion to the word, to prayer, to discipleship in the church and in the home, or evangelism to those who are in need of God's mercy. You waste time. And you don't redeem the time. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The wise understand that they need the word of God to show them God's will. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse Thessalonians 4, 3-5 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of, flat, of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then chapter 5, the same book, 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So God's word shows us what God's will is, right? We don't need to Think about some out there concept. I'm just looking for God's will. Well, it's, it's here. God's will is here. So we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We will know what to do. We will know the wisdom that we need because God's word tells us and God's spirit will lead us and guide us into truth. The will of God is that you be sanctified, that you grow up in maturity, that you grow up in Christ, that you be conformed to the image of Jesus. That is God's will for you, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you know how to control your body, control your flesh in a way that honors God and give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Then he goes on to say, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness was a problem in Ephesus, and it still is a problem today. It's a way of escape. It's a way to become someone else for a short time, or it's a way to express sexual freedom and support your immoral lifestyle. Paul's commanding from the Lord, Do not get drunk with wine, because that is debauchery, which means excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures can lead you towards sexual immorality. It can master you and make you do and say things you wouldn't normally say when sober, which can lead you down the downward spiral of immorality. So it's unwise and it's foolish to get drunk with wine. And God commands us not to, but be filled with the Spirit of God. But you know from Ephesians 1, if you're truly in Christ, you have the Spirit that guarantees your inheritance until you come to possess it, right, in the end. So you have the Holy Spirit. So why is he saying be filled with the Spirit? Because this is a command to be continually filled with Him. So how do you do that? How do you be filled with the Spirit? Through the Word of God. Colossians three sixteen says... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Reading, studying, meditating on the word of God, praying the word, sharing the word with your church and with others, addressing one another, as he goes on to say, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Colossians 3 also says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Word of God. That's why we sing songs that reflect the Word of God. That's why we preach from the Bible faithfully because we need the Word of God. We need His Spirit. We need to be filled continually and continually with Him because our hearts are deceitful. We still have a sinful nature that wants what it wants and it wants us to not be filled with the Spirit, to be drunk with wine, to be foolish and do all those things. But God is calling us to imitate him and we do that by being filled with the Spirit. Let your hearts overflow with the Spirit through the word. I pray that you would take these songs that we sang this morning and you would continue to sing them but also allow them to help you to um, share them With each other, as you go to your life groups, as you come to to the big game party tonight, that we would continue to encourage one another with these truths from God's Word, and hopefully, I'll give you something to talk about later too, (laughs) with some things that I said from the Word. Um, But let your hearts overflow, fill your minds with truth, engage your hearts to believe the truth, and share it with others. And it says, sing and make music to the Lord with your whole heart. Worship him with your whole heart. Give him the honor and glory that he is due. Be thankful always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be thankful always and for everything. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Are you living a thankful life? No matter what season you're in, are you being thankful to God who loves you? and cares for you. It wants you to know that he is with you. And the word of God gives us the wisdom that we need whatever season that we're in so we can be thankful knowing that he is doing something in our lives. He's conforming us to the image of Jesus. So the word of God by the Spirit being filled with the Spirit, leads you to Christ crucified. He is the wisdom of God. He is supreme and he is sufficient. He is the one we should seek every single day so that we can have the power to stand in these evil days, to put on the armor of God, to preach the gospel and live lives that reflect his truth, his righteousness, and his holiness and lastly, being filled with the spirit, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we are, as life, as this church life within community, as a family, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of awe for Christ, out of fear. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and he helps us to submit, to put, to put ourselves under one another. So put yourself under each other. Don't think of of yourself as greater than your brother or sister in Christ. Humble yourself because that's what we're called to do in church life as a family. We're supposed to put others' needs before our own. We're supposed to be willing to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable at times for the sake of our church family. That's what love is all about. It gives It gives, it gives, it costs us, and it's pleasing to God in obedience. So that's what we're called to do. We're called to serve one another and walk in love out of our deep respect for Christ. And I want to read Philippians 2, 6 through 11 to show what Christ's example as he came to this earth, how he humbled himself. So who though he was in the form of God, So Jesus humbled himself. He took the form of a servant and he went to the point of death, even death on a cross. So therefore, we should be servants of one another. We should put ourselves under each other and care for one another as family. So we imitate God, we imitate Jesus and walk like him in that way. So that's what we're called to do. So I pray and I encourage you to be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ loved you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you, God, for your word. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for your son for him coming to this earth, humbling himself and putting on flesh and to obey you, to obey the your will to go to the cross but it was the joy that was set before you, that you endured it, scorning the shame, knowing that you would bring many sons and daughters to glory, and I thank you, God, that we can follow hard after you, that we can imitate you and walk in love and in the light and wisdom for life. I ask God that you would fill us with your spirit, fill us with your word, and that it would dwell in us richly, And that you would keep us, Lord. Keep us, Lord, from sexual immorality. Not only for the men, but for the women as well. Keep us from that. Don't let it even be named among us. That we would cast it off. If it's there, cast it off. And help us to repent. Help us to turn away from it. Help us to humble ourselves. And help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. And Lord, give us wisdom to walk with you, to walk towards others that need you, and help us to love one another as you have loved us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.